And we welcome you to the chapel. If you have your Bibles, I'll ask you to turn over to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, we'll be looking at verses 24 to 38 in our time together this morning. You also have a, um, an outline of the message in the bulletin if you want to follow along with that. You probably have had this kind of experience. I have many times both with family members and friends, had a chance to talk with them shortly before they die. I listened differently to people at that time because I realized they're probably not terribly concerned about who won the Eagles game. I mean, they, all that stuff kind of gets pushed aside and they focus on what is most important to them, which is important to me as one that cares about that person. You know what I'm talking about? So I think it's important when we come to hear these words of Christ, before he's going to go out, he's going to be arrested, he's going to be on trial, he's going to die. Because we're Christians, we know he's going to raise from the grave. That's true. But these are important words said last week, Jesus was, was with his disciples, and they were sharing Passover together, and Jesus said, I have so looked forward to this time with you, but I, I won't do it again until my kingdom comes, and, and, and in the midst of all that, he turns and he tells them this experience of great intimacy among us is also a time in which one of you will betray me. Can you imagine the discussion that that elicited? <laughs> and it did. I mean, I mean, one of us, there's only 12 of us. So, hey, and, 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 and I, I don't know exactly how the conversation went because the Bible doesn't give us great details, but it doesn't take too long to figure out something like this may have happened if it was, uh, if I was in there and, Phil was in there with me, and Craig was in there with me, and John was in there. We'll just talk a little bit. We're talking along, and all of a sudden, I'm telling Phil, you know, Phil, um, it wouldn't be me that betrays him because I'm better than you. And John looks over at me and says, hey, Fink Finer, yeah, not me, man, because I'm, you know, can you, you can see how that would all happen, wouldn't you? And what's so fascinating to me is there's no indication anywhere in the Gospels that anybody ever pointed at Judas. He's the guy that, he, guys, he handed all the money. And, and, but, but, but at least what you're doing is you kind of go to that defensive mode, thinking it can't be me because I'm a pretty good person, right? Or something like that. That's my guess. That's the kind of thing that leads us right into verse 24. Look at what it says. And there arose also a dispute among them as to which of them was regarded to be greatest. So I don't know exactly how that segued in. My guess is perhaps it worked off of that whole betrayal scenario. So Jesus is with his disciples. There's, there's a lot he wants to talk to them about. And we know from the other gospels a whole variety of things he says. But Luke focuses on here. In the midst of all this, he wants them to realize what does it mean to lead in God's kingdom? 
And what you'll find is it's going to be an inverted pyramid. I mean, we kind of think it should be more like, hey, to be a leader means I'm going to be up in front of people and I'm going to have prestige. And people are going to call me nice things. And when you walk by, they'll go, ah, or something like that, right? <laughs> and, 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 and I will exert authority and power. Man, it's going to make me really feel good. Does the world work like that? It sure does. It sure does. You don't go up the corporate ladder, become a CEO of an organization, at great sacrifice often to your family and everything else, unless you're after money, power, prestige, or something. It's not normally because I just love people, is it? And in this passage, Jesus says, let's talk about greatness. Greatness is not bound up in being in a position where everybody goes like, wow. No. Where you just exert all kinds of authority. Jesus says, let me tell you what greatness is. What real leadership entails. Look at what he says in verse 25. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who have authority over them are called benefactors. You see, Jesus says the world in which you live is about getting to a position where you have power over people. You can use people. You can do whatever you want. That's great. And when they look at you, they don't just say, Doug. They say, Finkbeiner is my benefactor. Because in that world, if you were a benefactor, if I was a benefactor, you were a client. And I would do things for you so you can do things for me. And people should squawk around town saying, there's the benefactor, there's the benefactor. And Jesus says, look, that's how the world works. Give me a name, give me a title, give me prestige, give me power. And Jesus says, I'm going to turn that whole thing on its head. Look what he says. But not so with you, verse 26. But let him who is the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the servant. You know, I guess it's this way still now, but it certainly was this way in antiquity. If you came into a movement and you were the youngest, you had no clout and no authority. It's just how it worked. So Jesus said, in a world that wants titles and prestige, benefactor. You should be really happy if people just say that's the youngest. In a world that wants power and control over people, where they lord it over them, I want you to minister to them. Folks, is that radical? Is it easy to do, incidentally? Humanly speaking, it's impossible. You know why? We are all madly in love with ourselves. You know what I mean? I mean, that's the truth. You know, we are. And so this is not something that we read and, and, and oh, this is really easy. It's not easy. The easy thing to do is to use people for self-centered purposes. That's really easy. 
I mean, you might not say that, but it is. But in God's kingdom, everything gets turned on its head. And we ask ourselves, what we need is a model. I, I need help. So if I can't look to the world, where do I look to get this? Jesus says, I'll give it to you. Here it is. Verse 27. Who is greater? The one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Guys, we're sitting around this meal right now. Because I'm the rabbi, because I am who I am, notice I am in this position of authority even at the table itself. And you know what? Um, I'm not the one that's supposed to be serving. But what does Jesus do at this point in John chapter 13? Do you remember? (laughs) Yeah, Jesus says, yeah, I understand protocol. I understand in the ancient, well, Jesus wouldn't say this, we're saying this, but we understand in the ancient world, um, but that back to Phil, John, and Craig. Okay. So we're all disciples. In the ancient world, there is no way I'm going to wash their feet. There is no way. Now, in our day, there may be some additional reasons we would say that too. But in, our, but in their day, there is no way we do that, guys, will we? That's right. That's exactly right, Phil. That's right. Because you don't do that to peers. And you would never do it for somebody below you. I would not wash their feet as peers. And I certainly wouldn't wash anybody's feet below me. The only person's feet you would wash is somebody above you. And Jesus gets up from the table in John 13. And he plays the role of the servant the slave and he starts washing the feet so here you have jesus the one who reclines at the table and he's not just doing it for a peer he's doing it for people who are his followers and peter is so embarrassed remember what he says in john 13 not so lord jesus says, well look if i don't do this you have no part of me well then lord do all of me you don't need i don't need to do all of you. poor peter he, everything he says is wrong and john i mean just like peter be quiet just stop you know you keep getting this wrong and, and G, because they're so embarrassed because in the protocol in their day you don't do that but jesus has shown us again and again that the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is our great example. Why do members of this church give hours during the week ministering to people in ways that nobody else will ever know but them and God? Is it for prestige? Nobody will know. We don't put it in the bulletin. You know why they do it? You know why you do it? Because of Jesus. Because at the end of the day, we will ultimately impact the world, not by being at the top and changing it, but changing it from the bottom up. Christianity wasn't very big at this time, was it? 
but it wouldn't take long before it would spread around the whole entire world. And Jesus looks at his men. He says, guys, it's not about going to the top. Greatness is bound up in living like me. Will you serve others? And if I do it as the son of God, who deserves all the praise and will get all the praise, how much more his followers? Do you, do you see? So he says, passionately serve others because of the example of Christ. Secondly, look at verse 28. I, I love this. It, it's, 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 it's so tender. I don't want you to think about this. One of those men in there has betrayed Jesus, Judas. And for whatever reason, and you try to get into the psychology of what in the world is Judas thinking in his head, we don't really know exactly. I mean, it's, he is one complicated guy. James, you would have a time trying to counsel that guy. I mean, you know, man, but, but whatever, okay? Um, but what I do know is this about Judas. That he had decided he was not going to stay with Christ even when he didn't fully understand Christ. Remember what Peter said back in John chapter 6? When people were leaving Jesus Christ in droves and Peter, Jesus said to Peter, are you guys too going to leave? And I love this word from Peter. Peter said, Lord, where will we go? You're the only one with the words of eternal life. That time he had it right, <laughs> didn't he? I mean, he was right on on that one. And I love Peter. Peter's saying, look, I, I can't fully figure you out either all the time, but I love you and I know you're the only way. And I'm going to stay with you even when I don't understand. Look what Jesus says here in this passage. Verse 28. You, unlike Judas, you are those who have stood by me in my trials. And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Don't you love that? Jesus looks at his men. How perfect were they? Eh, not real. Right? I mean, you know, they were wonderful models of living in this kind of gray area so often. You know, Jesus teaches this and that, and, and then you say, where are the disciples? They're kind of like wandering around in here somewhere, aren't they? It, which is the way we are so often. Do you know what? A true disciple of Jesus Christ stays with Christ. John says in his first epistle, they were not of us. For if they were of us, they would have remained with us. We don't always understand what Jesus is doing in our lives or in the world. But we stay with him. Because that's what true believers do. They stay with Christ. And Jesus says, you guys stay with me. You, you, you persevere. And in the world to come, you will experience intimacy that far surpasses anything you can possibly imagine. We had a little taste of that today as we were singing, didn't we? love about the worship time you just you get these tastes 
But it's only a foretaste. And there will be time when we will stand in his presence. We will bask in his glory. We will be overwhelmed by his goodness and his grace and his mercy. His love. We will fall down. We'll do all kinds of things. And in that world which he establishes, there will be authority and things that we will do. I, I think I've mentioned this before, but when I, was, when I was young as some of these guys sitting up front here, I used to really worry about what's going to go on in heaven for a couple reasons. I always worried when I was young, what happens if I sin up there? Like, like am, I, am I out? I don't know, I used to, now, now, now you can't be out because once you're in, you're in and you're glorified. But I kind of worried about that as a kid. I, I remember thinking like, man, right, like what if I blow it? I mean, a billion years being obedient, that's pretty tough. I can't even go an hour. You know, it, 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 it was hard. It was just, it was a hard thing. I don't know if you guys ever thought that way, but I, I used to think like that. But the other thing I thought is, I'm going to get terribly bored in heaven. I mean, I like a worship service, but for a million years? Like, Hello? And one of the things you find, we will not only be lost in his glory. And as Ephesians tells us, just continually learning just how incredibly gracious he's been to us in ways that we just don't even fully understand now. So that'll just be one element. But the element is we will be given forms of stewardship in God's kingdom. And he tells them, in, th in this case, you guys will be ruling over Israel in this, in this period of time. And so there's things for us to do. I don't know what all that's going to be. But let me tell you something, guys, sitting up front here. You will never, never be bored in heaven. It will be a glorious time. Okay, don't think like I did. All right. So Jesus talks to his men who stayed with him and said, the glories that are yours are unimaginable. And then he says this. I love this next section. He looks at Simon. And it's not always clear in, in some of your translations. So let me just add something in. If you have the NIV, you would have it, but, and, and, uh, but you don't always have it in all the translations. But, but let me say something just to kind of bring it out. Verse 31. I used to read verse 31 like this. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you as, can I add this? You as an individual like wheat. And I used to think when I saw the word you there that it just meant, Simon, Satan is trying to sift you, Peter, in particular. But in the Greek, it's the plural, the word you. And so some of the translations will say you all. Or all of you or something like that. That's really a good translation. And so, so he is, he, then in the next verse, he's going to use the you in the singular. Okay, but, but here he doesn't. He looks his, at Peter as the representative, the lead guy among these 11. Because Judas obviously is going to betray him. And he says, you know, Satan has a strategy. And he wants to destroy all of you. Wait, wait, wait. Didn't you just say, Doug, that, that God's people will, will persevere if they're really God's people? Yeah, I did say that. And the reason we will persevere is because Jesus preserves us. Simon, 
Satan has demanded permission to sift the whole bunch of you like wheat. He wants to take each one of you to the breaking point, not to prove who you are and to grow you in your faith walk with me, but to destroy you. I love verse 32. But I have prayed for you. That your faith may not fail. Does your faith ever falter? And what that means is you just got to crank it out on your own. Finkbinder willpower. I don't have enough. Now, am I called to live by faith? Absolutely. But I can never live by faith unless it's out of his grace. And Jesus says, Peter, I'm praying for you. And that makes all the difference in the world. So you come to Paul's words in Romans chapter 8, and he says, look, look, look at the end of the day. You cannot be condemned because Jesus Christ intercedes for you. Or if you come to 1 John and you want to talk to John about it, 1 John chapter 2, he will say, we have an advocate. Or if you want to talk to the writer of Hebrews, he will say, we have a high priest who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. You can bring your suffering, bring your pain. When you say, I have no place to go, I can't do it on my own, Jesus says, I know. I pray for you. And that changes everything. Will a true Christian persevere? Absolutely. But never on their own. Always because at the end of the day, Jesus prays for us. And that makes all the difference in the world. What's interesting in the very next passage Jesus is going to call his men to pray that they don't enter temptation twice. They don't do real well with that one, do they? They end up falling asleep. And so it doesn't mean that we have no responsibility. We have a responsibility to live by grace through faith, absolutely. But at the end of the day, if I'm praying and I'm working... I can't do it on my own. I can't. It is ultimately because he has given me of his spirit and he intercedes for me. Do you see? It's a beautiful balance. I love this. Look at what he says. I prayed for you, now specifically talking to Peter individually, that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, Strengthen your brothers. Who will turn him again? It'll be Jesus. Only Luke, of all the gospel writers, tells us that after the resurrection and before Jesus appears to the disciple, the 11 guys as a whole, he also appears to Peter. Now, Luke doesn't tell us what they talked about. Again, again, when I get to heaven, I'm going to pull Peter aside and say, hey, what did you and Jesus talk about? I would love to know that one. 
doesn't tell us. But what I know is, Jesus says, Peter, you're going to fail. You're going to deny me. I will restore you. And then you will strengthen your brothers. Is there hope for failures? That's what grace is all about. And Peter says, yes, Lord, I know how weak I am. Is that what he says? No, no, Peter. Oh, Peter, no, no, no. Look at what he says. And he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. Lord, I don't know about these other turkeys, but man, I will. And Jesus said, I say to you, Peter, the cock will not crow today until you have denied me three times that you know me. And you know, in the chapter that follows here, the Bible tells us he denies Christ that final time. The cock crows. And Luke tells us in particular that his eyes meets, meets the eyes of Jesus. And he goes out. And he weeps bitterly thinking, my life is over. Did you ever find yourself there? Jesus said, I will pray for you and you are called to live by faith. And when you don't, you will falter. But I will pray for you. And I will restore you. And I will use you. Folks, that's the gospel. You can't manufacture that. You can't do it on your own. While there is life, there is always hope. I just love this passage. I'm so thankful that Jesus prays for me. Restores me. And uses me. Isn't that incredible? Even though, dear Peter, still, even after Jesus said all that, I know, you know he walked out thinking, like, I'm not going to do that. And he did. And he did. So, how should we live, Jesus? You're leaving. Jesus would say, I want you to passionately serve others because of my example. I want you to confidently wait. The future blessing that is coming to you. Stay with me. I want you to humbly depend upon my strength. Peter had to learn that lesson. And when we go through failure, brothers and sisters in Christ, God will often use that to show us that we can't apart from him. It's powerful, powerful teaching. Lastly, in verses 35 to 38, Jesus brings up one other issue. When he said to them, when I sent you out without a purse and bag and sandals, you did not lack anything, did you? And they said, oh, no, nothing. And he's referring back to Luke chapter 9. Remember when he sent them out on their mission? And, and he, matter of fact, let me just read that because it's an interesting passage. Luke chapter 9 and um, 
now well, maybe just pick up in verse 3. three. He says this to them. As he's sending them out. Luke chapter 9. Take nothing for your journey. Neither a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not even have two tunics apiece. That's going lean. You know, you're going out there, you're going lean, you're trusting in people. It's kind of like short-term missions. You're going to do, do this for a while, and you can run right back to me, and it'll be okay. But Jesus says, times are a-changing. Verse 36. And he said to them, but now, let him who has a purse take it along. Likewise, also a bag. And let him who has no sword sell his robe and buy one. Why, Lord? Like, what's going on? For I tell you, verse 37, that this which is written must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with transgressors, for that which refers to me has its fulfillment. And they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said, it is enough. I have to tell you, that is one complicated passage for a variety of reasons. People had talked about this passage as as a model for self-defense and arms and all kinds of stuff. I have to tell you, it's, it's not even, and then people are responding back on the other side by saying, when it says a sword, it doesn't really mean a sword. It's just kind of a metaphorical image for there's going to be division out there when you're walking after I have departed throughout the book of Acts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's true. There is going to be division, but I don't know quite how you sell something and buy division. That doesn't make any sense to me either. So I think what he's saying here is this. Guys, while I'm here on earth, all the opposition is directed primarily to me. And you go out and you do your things, your missions, but you come back, but they're attacking me. But as it has been prophesied, I must face that ultimate opposition and die for the sins of the world. And after that time period, The only way for them to get at me is to get at you. Right? And that's what you find in the book of Acts. And so there has to be some forethought on provision, protection, thinking through these kinds of things. So Paul would find himself sometimes in a setting that was very, very adverse, and he he, he decided... You know, what I should probably do is this group, I mean, you know, like he was stoned one time. No, he, he did go back into the, into the city after he was stoned just to say goodbye to people. But he figured it probably isn't prudent to stay in the city right now. That was like a really smart move. He's thinking through living in a world of opposition where you're seeking to gospelize. There's going to be opposition. You've got to be wise. You've got to think about Provision going in and protection. That shouldn't keep us from doing it. It just means we need to be wise as we do it. And so Jesus is warning his men, I'm leaving. 
They will try to get to me by getting to you. You must not lose your passion for gospelizing. But I want you to know it's not going to be easy. I want to prepare you for the suffering that is coming. You must be as wise as serpents, but as gentle as doves as you move through that arena. Aren't they good words? Our Lord is leaving. He's leaving them very soon to die. He says, guys, what I want from you is to focus on me. And when you look at my example, you'll serve like I do. When you look at the joys and the wonders of what is to come, you'll stay. When you falter, remember I am the one who is praying for you and I am the one who will restore you. And I am the one then that will empower you to minister to others. And lastly, you got to be wise as you gospelize. You can't stop it. But I want to prepare you for it. Wisdom and the gospelizing in the world in which you find yourself. Let me help you there. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Hey, he deals with every angle. Satan's going to try to destroy you. Yeah, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So at every level, Jesus loves us. So I don't know where God touches you. I, all I know is I read this passage and he touches me, pokes me all over the place. Because it's easy for me to want all the attention to come to me. And Jesus says, no, Doug. It's all about me. Follow my example. And I know I falter. And I know I worry. And I know I try. And I know I fail. And Jesus says, I am the great preserver. And when I restore you, minister my grace to others. Be humble. But don't stop ministering even if it's hard. And even if people oppose you. Just be wise. Father.